Welcome to the Fan Engagement Podcast by Genius Sports. I'm your host, Megan Kane. We'll chat with leagues, teams, brands, and broadcasters about different ways to engage fans and grow your organization. Today, I'll chat with Dave Sethi, now a free agent, but formerly the Director of Sports Partnerships at Meta. Dave was on the front lines of social media's boom, most recently earning his way to an SVJ 40 Under 40 honor. We'll chat all things social and sports, and Dave will share his insights on where he thinks the space is headed. Join us. Good morning, Dave. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You've got quite the sneaker collection behind you. You know, this is my Zoom background is really the the only thing that gives me any level of street cred since I otherwise have none. But um, I've I've garnered a couple of cool custom cleats and sneakers over the years with uh, various projects and programs I've worked on. So uh, the background's impressing. I'm much less so. uh, So hopefully people's attention are drawn to my background as opposed to, you know, things that actually come out of my mouth. So, (laughs) Well, let's see if we can match it up today. Uh, let's get started. Take me back to when you started at YouTube and tell me about what sports partnerships looked like then and compare it to what it looks like now. Yeah. So I, I, it's important to remember for those of us who have I don't know, been around the block for, for longer than some of the more recent uh, industry professionals in social, digital, and, and sports. But that is that, you know, less, a little over a decade ago, the value proposition of using of having and employing a distributed media strategy using social media using platforms like youtube was not the foregone conclusion that it is today i mean back then if you go to 2011 whether you're talking to an espn or an nfl or an athlete that value proposition was more challenging to wrap your head around because you know i'll give you an example if you're the boston celtics and you've built up a lot of um, investment and equity in bostoncelticscom well, the value proposition for YouTube is, well, come here onto this platform and freely distribute content that you've probably spent a decent chunk of change to produce, uh, distribute it with monetization that's at far favorable, or sorry, far less favorable economics than what you'd be making on your .com, all with and with less analytics and sort of less first party data than you would have access to um, on your own platform, all with the promise that audiences, especially youth audiences, are going to increasingly consume on a platform like YouTube. And that value proposition was more nascent back in 2011 than it was today, where you can find your favorite athlete, your favorite brand, your favorite media company, your favorite league on any of these platforms. So a lot of that role and really a, a lot of that environment was around um, socializing that kind of value proposition and trying to help bring the industry into the future. And again, fast forward to 2023, really social media, these platforms have become the entry point, the front door for a lot of those organizations to engage, not just their existing fan base, but prospective new fans um, who have yet to discover um, those brands and potentially um, may join their community. Yeah, and I can only imagine the change that you witness going between the two. So getting a little bit more into a niche topic and one that I know that's close to you, a lot of the work that you did more recently at Meta was with NIL, or Name, Image, and Likeness with College Athletes. 
First, can you explain a little bit about what NIL is and tell us a little bit about how this changed the space and impacted your role at Meta? Yeah, absolutely. So for those who, who may be less familiar, NIL is an acronym for name, image, and likeness, but really what it represents within the United States is um, at the time it was an interim policy passed by the NCAA, which is like the governing you know, membership body of college athletics that said that student athletes um, within that membership could monetize their name image, and likeness. So if you were the quarterback at Alabama, you can now sign autographs and get compensated for that. If you made a post on social media and worked with a brand that was now permittable or permissible, excuse me. Um, whereas for decades before July 1st of 2021, all of those were disallowed. And so what that meant for, I mean, it was a wholesale change in college athletics. There's been a lot of noise since then that all of us who live in the States and enjoy college um, athletics can attest a ton of noise in that space, but at its most basic, that's what that represented and really empowering athletes, whether you are the starting quarterback at Alabama or you're the backup goalie at the university of Wisconsin, you have the same opportunity to, build up your personal brand and potentially monetize it through any way, shape, or form that you deem fit. For us, um, the, the thesis of sorts was that if, if NIL was going to become a thing, and on a personal level, I always thought NIL was the foregone conclusion, the most hanging fruit in terms of how athletes could be empowered to, to monetize in a new environment for getting all the revenue sharing, media rights sharing, et cetera. It's, which is a, a lot more complicated. This at its most basic was about empowering athletes um, to make money off of something that was truly theirs. And for us at Meta, uh, the thesis was, well, if this is gonna become a thing, well, the primary way or ways in which athletes are going to be able to profit off of their name, image, name, image and likeness is on social media. And as you've seen over the past two years, something like 80% of all NIL related activity within collegiate athletics involves in athletes social media. And so you have this confluence of, well, athletes have an opportunity for the first time to do something that can actually put money in their pockets and sort of choose their own adventure. And on the other hand, you have social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram specifically, that are going to be the places where they can most effectively do that. And so we felt a deep responsibility to educate, equip and empower the masses of student athletes in understanding this is what you have available to you. So it really behooves you to understand how our platforms work and how you can maximize the totality of those platforms that for years you were not able to tap into, um, especially in terms of monetization. And so we built a practice from scratch um, in winter of 2020 in preparation for summer of 2021, where we thought things were going to happen. Um, and yeah, you know, the past couple of years and having led that work, it's been incredibly fulfilling and you've seen the, the spectrum of the Libby Duns of the world who have set the world on fire in terms of their, um, being prolific on social media and monetizing their NIL, um, all the way to division three players who, um, may have far smaller audiences, but still engaged communities that are able to put some money in their pocket um, and feel like they're benefiting from the new era that we're in. Yeah, for sure. And 
with, you know, the, the surplus, I guess, of genuine interactions that fans can have with these up and coming athletes, you know, it might make it more difficult for brands to authentically engage and create those meaningful interactions with, you know, fans and followers on social media. Have you seen any brands doing it creatively and and doing it well? Yeah, I think the whole ecosystem of sports specifically, even beyond sports, is very interconnected. And I think the best brands, so to speak, that are doing that well are tapping into that broader ecosystem, ecosystem, excuse me. I mean, so number one, they're viewing social as the entry point to not only engage fans who are already part of that community, but also using these platforms to potentially reach new fans and frankly, next generation fans who they want to bring into that community. And so, you know, as we were discussing last week, just when we were catching up, you know, social went from being a bit of an afterthought to now that sort of front door of sorts where you have to be present and urgent in the minds and hearts of, and with the attention of your existing fan base, but with the potential to grow that fan base and potentially bring them into uh, a, a deeper experience with your brand, whether you're the NBA, the NFL, the ESPN, et cetera. And so um, that sort of enter, entrance, you know, into the funnel is more critical than ever. And it's why those platforms, whether you're YouTube with shorts or whether you're TikTok or, or Instagram with reels, there has been such an emphasis on discovery because they also know that these platforms are being used as an entry point to gain new fandom. In terms of, yeah, some of the brands, um, to use that term a bit loosely, the NBA has always been the envy of many leagues from a social and digital perspective, but I think you have to tip your cap to the NFL as well. Um, In terms of leveraging that ecosystem that I mentioned, they do a great job of incorporating their brand partners into their programming. As we all know, if, if you're an NFL fan, they have taken a very seasonal sport and made it via social a very 365-day-a-year habit for their fans. Um, You sort of can't get away from the news cycle of the NFL, and they're delivering great content across all their social media channels. Um, They're also tapping into new and young fans via creators um, and, and tapping into potentially individuals, influencers, et cetera, who bring with them perhaps a more casual fan or a fan that may not be as acquainted with the NFL shield and with the teams and, and athletes that are within that league, their NFL has done an, an exceedingly, exceedingly good job, especially the past couple of years of tapping into, again, that broader, that broader sports ecosystem. And so um, I don't think that was necessarily always the case with that league, but under some of their leadership, the past couple of years, um, they've done really well. And frankly, creators have done, such a wonderful job of positioning their value proposition to these leagues, to these brands, to these media companies, because they can produce content quickly. They can produce polished content effectively. They bring a youth fan base to the table and they are great partners who want to be in business with these organizations. And I think you're seeing the walls eroding very quickly um, in terms of the value prop of those parts of the ecosystem working together. And a really interesting part to me is that oftentimes you don't have to have the best record or be even be performing well to create those authentic connections with fans on social media. 
For instance, in one of our earlier episodes, I spoke with Aiden Lyons of Williams Racing, and he was talking about how they cultivated this loyal following on social through really authentic and good content that they had put out, despite having some lackluster performances from the team. It's, it's really about the quality of the content and the way that you allow your fans to engage that can keep that engagement up despite having a poor record. Yeah, you know, the on-court, on-field, on-track performance certainly might be the, uh, the way in which you become culturally relevant to the masses, but what you deliver, how you listen and engage with fans on a daily you know, multiple times a week, weekly basis with that fan base is what's going to have them stick around. And one of the things that we have preached that I've preached throughout my career to creators, to those leagues, to these athletes, et cetera, is, you know, figure out a way to establish great sort of two-way dialogue and communication with your fan base. Be consistent because you can take those fans with you well beyond your playing career, right? I mean, think about one of the greatest growth hacks for athletes on social media is quite simply going from one team to another team, from one market to another market. You don't lose the fans necessarily in the market that you just left. You might just be gaining an entirely new fan base that wants to follow along and participate in your journey. And so um, I think that presents a really unique and interesting opportunity. And also the reality is on social media across any of these platforms, there are no borders, right? So uh, look at what happened in FIBA, uh, you know, this past week with Austin Reeves playing for the U.S. team, and he's got fans in the stands that are hyping him up who have probably only seen him play for the very first time, you know, in person because he's not played in Japan before. I believe that's where FIBA's um, World Cup is currently located. But he's got fans in the stands because he's – built a brand on the court as well as a brand off the court. A lot of his highlights, a lot of his reactions have been uh, have been socialized on social media. And so he's got a global opportunity. If you're to take it to the collegiate level again, if you're the quarterback playing for Wisconsin, your fan base doesn't have to exclusively exist in Madison. You could have fans, was there's Wisconsin alumni all across the world, right? There are people who are interested in college football, across, um, you know, across the entire, uh, the entire country. And so I think that presents, again, a unique opportunity for not just athletes, but again, any league team, et cetera. And the NBA, I think, has done a wonderful job of tapping into a very international fan base as well. And I think we've danced around this a little bit in this episode, but why do you think that social is such a great forum for sports and fans and brands to all come together? So to me, and this maybe just transcends social specifically, but to me, sport is culture and sport is the greatest common denominator in the world. I've said it a lot of times and on a personal level, I've traveled far and wide across the country and world to enjoy sports. And what you find is that it is such a common thread between anybody and everybody. Um, it's captivating. It's temple driven. And in a world where, you know, linear tune-in is in decline, social has become a great way to drive awareness and urgency to what's happening in the world of sport, which then disproportionately sort of feeds into how athletes, leagues, media companies, et cetera, can not only make money, but also, again, build a fan base and build sort of more holistic, comprehensive program, programming, excuse me, sports is culture. Um, it's, it's a way to catch up on what's happening previously. 
I'm still, you know, I'm dating myself, but I'm still opening up my ESPN app and my Bleacher app every morning because if I went to bed earlier than I normally do and I want to catch up on who won the, you know, last uh, match of the U.S. Open on Monday night, yeah, I'll still do that. But I'm also playing catch up and engaging in the richness of the sports ecosystem on social media. And that's the beauty of what you're going to get on those platforms is, yeah, it's, it's the spectrum. It's the highlights, the most premium highlights that you could possibly find the, you know, latest Lionel Messi goal, which I can't count how many goals he scored since he joined the MLS, all the way to LeBron James wearing, uh, you know, a pair of pajamas that his uh, wife was making fun of, which I think that's what I was watching earlier. I can't 100% remember, but that's the beauty of the breadth and depth of what you're getting in sports um, and why you have so many parts of the sports ecosystem that are using social in a way to, bring fans in, bring them closer, and then get them to stick around and stay. Now, I know social media is changing by the day, but where do you see this space growing? Are there any innovations that you've seen lately or any trends that you're excited about and you see us growing into, into the future? (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. You might have to rein me in here, but if I had real conviction that I'd probably be starting my own company now and investing in what I believe to be the future. So I, I don't know if I, if I have tremendous conviction around any of these ideas, but I'll, I'll riff a little bit here. Number one, just from a student athlete perspective, given it's near and dear to my heart and it was near and dear to the work that I most recently was doing when I, when I was at Meta, which is student athletes are going to continue to better understand the opportunity ahead of them from an NIL monetization perspective, a brand building perspective. It's only getting younger, as you and I mentioned. And so um, I think that's going to do two things. One, it's going to grow the opportunity within college and grade school. Um, But also, I think it's going to indirectly grow the influencer marketing pie as well, Um, because I think you're going to see just more athletes leaning in. Also, most of these athletes, especially at the collegiate level, are never going to earn a professional paycheck. That doesn't mean they have to stop being a professional content creator. So I think you're going to see the pie actually grow indirectly as a result um, of what's happening uh, in that space. Um, I don't know if I don't really know if NFTs are going to become a thing again um, personally, but the concept of unlocking experiences across digital, social, experiential, I think will continue to become a thing, um, given that sports is event-driven, it's entertainment-driven, and it's also community-based. So I'm excited to see how there can be greater innovation in connecting communities online and offline. And I think that was part of the promise around NFTs as like a vehicle for that. Um, Even if the vehicle is questionable right now, I think the, the value proposition is one that will continue to be explored. Um, Even back to the student-athlete piece, we're still tip of the iceberg in terms of the amount of investment in that space. For every one brand that has worked with a student-athlete, there are at least 20 that barely know what NIL stands for. So again, I think you're going to see more momentum over the next couple of years and greater investment in that space, especially as student-athletes better prove themselves as content creators who can help organizations get an ROI, um, to be, you know, pretty candid. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take it to the platform side since obviously I've spent a lot of my career there. You and I joked previously, um, that yeah, these, these platforms sort of put their thumb on the scale to drive and promote 
you know, what products and priorities they have. You know, a couple of years ago was long form video for platforms like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Then it moved all the way to short form. Then it was commerce. You know, then it was, you know, you named the product or priority. That's not going to change. What I think might change is that even though we have seen short form video and its rise in proliferation, I feel like you're going to start to maybe see a little bit of creator burnout, burnout on creating videos specifically and platforms might come back a little bit towards the middle in terms of promoting that diversity in format. Um, I just see that when I talk to, to creators across sports and otherwise, I don't think people realize even with how good creators are at creating video, it is, there's magic there. And that magic takes a lot of work for most people. Um, and and we, you and I don't see that on a day to day basis. Well, maybe you because you're I'm sure a content creator in your own right. But yeah, there's a lot that goes into it that we don't see. We only see the finished product. That finished product takes a long time to produce. Um, and then yeah, I think maybe the last thing that I that I think about here is I'm a sports fan. I like going to sporting events. Maybe I'm in the increasing minority of folks who like don't just want to watch it on TV or on mobile phone or play catch up on highlights, but I'm very curious to see how the in-stadium experience evolves as connectivity becomes like a more integrated central experience. And this isn't a one-for-one, but I think what we see from a sports betting perspective is just an example, a more general example of how urgency around the live experience in venue can drive people to behaviors and to activities that again are just fully connected um, and immersive in that digital social and in IRL spheres spheres. And so the sports betting thing is just, I think again, emblematic or representative of what the potential is for connecting a lot of these different parts of the ecosystem together and the fan experience across all these platforms um, and in IRL things that they wanna enjoy when they're actually attending a game. Thanks so much for listening to the Fan Engagement Podcast by Genius Sports. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, I'm Megan Kane.